Well, here we are, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. New Hope Radio. I'll tell you what, we get a topic today I think we can all kind of connect with. Because we know that there are many pains in life, aren't there? Oh, yeah. Many things cause pain. Many things cause hurt. We know that. Did you ever hit your finger with a hammer? I can't count how many times I have over the years. Did you ever have a headache? How about a toothache? That's not too good. I'm, I heard, I haven't experienced it, but I heard having a baby can be quite painful. I just heard that now. I don't know. That's what I heard. But, you know, there is a pain that goes right to the heart. It's the pain of rejection. And as we continue in our series today, let's meet Jesus again for the very first time. We're going to see an aspect of his life that I believe brought much pain to him, perhaps even more than the physical pain that he endured. Today we're going to see how Jesus was ridiculed by his own brothers. Okay, let's pick it up in John chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what it says. After these things. Now, you know, you always want to read, like, what things? After what things? Well, this is the day after many of his followers followed him no more. Remember, he gave that hard saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And then many of his disciples, well, they left. Then he turned to his 12 disciples and he asked if they would leave also. And good old Peter, he's always the first one with a response. And he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter knew there's no better deal around. When you're hooked up with somebody that's going to bring you into eternity, there's no better deal. He said, you know, we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, that's those things. After those things, when chapter 7 opens up, Jesus is walking in Galilee. He was unwilling to walk in Judea. You know why? Because the Jews were seeking to kill him. I'm like, man. Here's a good lesson. Avoid places where you, you are not welcome. That's a good lesson. Like, if you're not welcome there, don't go. Don't go. Why have a bad time? Why have a rotten time? Why give people an opportunity to come against you? Just don't go, whatever it is. We've got a picture here of two scriptures. Number one, John 1.11, where John said that Jesus, you know, he came to his own, and those who were his own, that means the Jews, they did not receive him. I mean, think about that. He came to his own people, his own nation. He was one of them, and they rejected him. And then the other scripture in Matthew 13, verse 57, where Jesus said, A prophet 
is not without honor. In other words, he's always got honor. Well, except in his hometown. Even in his own household. You know why? People are familiar. That's why some of the toughest people to witness to are your own family. Because they know you. You can witness the strangers, maybe even co-workers, but your family, they know your sins. They know your temper. And sometimes people have this attitude that, well, you know, if you're a Christian, you must be this saint, right? Well, we're not saints in that sense of the word. We're saints in the sense that we're set apart for God. But we're not perfect people. We're, we're people that just love Jesus and we believe in him and he died for our sins. That's it. And it, people of our own household many times don't understand that. But, you know, here's the truth. When people reject Christ, they lose out. They do. Nobody has ever rejected Christ and come out better on the other end. You know that? No one. It's impossible. It doesn't happen. You want to come out better on the other end? Then you got to walk with the Lord. You know why he said, that's the road that leads to life. Oh, the road that leads to destruction, wide and broad, most people go that way. The road that leads to life, straight and narrow, there's only a few that find it. Because there's only a few that want to follow me. So the next verse says that Jesus did not do many miracles there. You know why? Because of their unbelief. Now, you might think, well, maybe if he did miracles, they would believe. You know what? They wouldn't. They'd ask for another one, and another one, and another one. And that's what people always did. She'll do another sign, Jesus. Pull a rabbit out of your hat. Do another one. Show us another sign that we should believe. So, Jesus didn't come to take away. He came to add and that's the message that the church should be preaching. And maybe it is. I'm not saying it's not, but that's the message. He didn't come to take from you. He came to add to your life. He didn't come to judge. He came to save. That's why he came. He didn't come to wage war. He came to show love. See, everyone with unbelief is robbed of the things that Jesus wants to give. He wants to give so much. And with his unbelief, people can't receive it. They don't get it. Because they don't believe it. So they don't avail themselves to it. And they live life without the things that God wants to give. And you know what? What they think they have falls far short of what God wants to give them. Okay, so here is Jesus. He has to limit his travels because some people rejected him so much. He was threatened that attempts would even be made on, on his life. Now, he knew he came to die, but not prematurely. Oh, no. There's a time for every event under heaven. And his time had not yet come. Now, in verse 2, an annual feast was approaching. And all Jewish males were expected to attend. It says the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths, was near. Now, what is the Feast of Booths? It commemorates the exodus 
the Jews that came in out of the Exodus from Egypt, living in tents in the wilderness. So what they did in Judea to commemorate that, they would erect their own tents, and they would stay in them for seven days, the Feast of Booths. They would make lean-tos with palm branches, or maybe they would have upright poles and put material over them and make a tent. Even today it's celebrated in Israel. And some booths are very humble, and they still use the palm branches to make a little dwelling. But some are a little more luxurious, and people might put up four poles and wrap it with linen and put carpeting. I mean, it's like living at home, you know. <laughs> they put carpeting on the floor. Yeah, we're living in a booth. Oh, yeah. Your booth is nicer than some people's houses, let me tell you. So now, okay, so it's the Feast of Booths. Verse 3, here come the Mocking Brothers. You heard of the Mockingbirds, right? Here come the Mocking Brothers. Therefore, his brothers said to him, Leave here, go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. Now, we're going to see why this was said in a spirit of ridicule in a minute. Because I really believe that they're challenging him to go to Judea to show off his stuff. Hey, Jesus, why don't you go to Judea then? Work some miracles. Get some people to follow you so your disciples can also see. Well, didn't they realize his disciples already saw and they believed? His, his disciples were there when Jesus fed the multitude. They were there when he calmed the storm. They heard Peter say, We have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They believed. Now, it's one thing to not believe. That's bad enough. But you know what? It's another thing to have to mock and ridicule the ones that do. Why does that go on in life? You've seen that, right? It's one thing to not believe. If you don't want to believe, fine. But why mock those that do? Why do these comedians have to have to rise up and mock Christians that believe in Jesus? Why can't they just, okay, you want to believe, believe. But why do they have to mock and ridicule on top of that? I think it's a sense of insecurity. That's what I think. You know where ridicule comes from? Insecurity. That's where. One man said, ridicule is the first and last argument of fools. <laughs> I like that. Ridicule is the first and last argument of fools. To all these people that like to mock the Christian way of life and the followers of Christ, they are demonstrating their foolishness, what fools they really are. Another man said, abuse is the weapon of the vulgar. Vulgar people, what do they use? Abuse. Now, when believers do it, because Christians do, not good, the saying is true. Scratch a Christian and you'll find a pagan. In other words, hmm, how dwells in you the Spirit of God when you become a mocker of someone else? 
and someone else's faith. How dwells in you the Spirit of God? Does it? Does it really? At all? You should never mock another person's faith. doesn't matter what religion they are. You're never going to win anybody to Christ, to the true religion, to Christ, by mocking what people believe in their heart. That walls go up. You always want to respect what people believe. I don't, I don't care what they are. Muslim, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, Buddhist. You respect all people. You respect their belief, just like you want your belief to be respected. And by respecting their belief, you might win an audience. And you might have that opportunity to present truth. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, win someone to Christ. So mockery, ridicule, yeah, what do we say? It's the argument of fools, okay? All right, now verse 4, Jesus' brothers, they continued to pursue him. And they said, no one does anything in secret. When he himself seeks to be known publicly, hey, Jesus, if you want to start this big movement, man, you're going to be out in public. You're going to go downtown. You're going to go to Main Street. You're going to go where all the people are. They said, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. This is how you get a following, right? In their mind, show yourself to the world. They thought Jesus was like them. See, if they were in his shoes, they would go public. Oh, they would go to the big city. You know why? There's more people there. They'd go on TV. They'd start a reality series. They'd get as many people as they could to watch. But you know, when you've got truth, you don't have to go to them. They'll come to you. Remember John the Baptist? He was on the wilderness. People came to him. He didn't go downtown. He didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't go anywhere. He, he stayed out by himself in the wilderness and preached. People heard him. And they came. Oh, they came by the droves. See, people that want truth, here it comes, seek truth. That's why I'm not big into mocking Christianity. I'm not big into mocking it. Because truth is its own market. And by the way, the brothers are saying, Jesus, you know why you need to go public and get more disciples and do some miracles? You seem to be losing disciples. You lost a few thousand yesterday, we heard. Didn't you have this big picnic? And you started preaching and 5,000 people walked away. They all left. So maybe in Galilee you can pick up a few more replacements. You think the brothers were laughing? Probably. I'll bet they were. Have you ever been laughed at? Probably. How did it feel? Not too good. See, when a person is mocked, ridiculed, and laughed at, something happens inside. Something happens inside that person. You know what happens? Things begin to shatter, like delicate glass self-doubt comes in feelings of unworthiness rejection calls out to you you have no value nobody wants you 
They're all laughing. And then, if and when you act on that, you hurt yourself. Because who cares anyway? Get to a point where you feel, hey, if nobody cares, why should I? Why should I? If people don't care about me, why should I care about me? See, words are like nuclear bombs. They devastate. Oh, they do. Powerful. Words are powerful. And you know what else they are? They're like feathers on a doorstep. Once you put them there, you can't get them back. They're gone. They're gone forever. You can't get them back. They're like nail holes in a board. You can pull out the nail, but the hole is still there. That's holes in the heart. We are the sum total of the words that we've received. Some good, some not so good. Our habits and our practices, you know what they do? They create the responses to the words that we've received. Some of you that are listening today, you know the crushing experience of words. Nowadays, glasses are very fashionable. But years ago, when I was a kid, if you wore glasses, they called you four eyes. Now they're fashionable. Now kids want glasses even if they don't need them. <laughs> but when you call four eyes, it's a nuclear bomb. It's devastating. But thankfully, Jesus is an overcomer. How do we know Jesus' brothers were so tough on him? Because the Bible tells us. It says in verse 5, not even his brothers, his own flesh and blood, were believing in him. Jesus got no support from his home. None. That's why a prophet has no honor in his own town. You know, if if, if support should come from anywhere, it should come from the family, right? Jesus got no support from his family. As a matter of fact, He was an embarrassment to the family. (laughs) Not only did they not support him, they were embarrassed by him. They were embarrassed by their brother parading himself around as if he were God. Making all those claims. Persuading people to follow him. Hey, follow me! I got the words of eternal life. No one gets to the Father but through me. And he can picture the brothers. What is wrong with him? Who does he think he is? And they're thinking, if he really was who he said he was, he wouldn't be so quiet about it. He'd go to the big city. He'd show the whole world. But you know, one day he will. Oh, yeah. When he comes back, he's going to show the whole world. They're they're not going to miss it this time. But you know what the good news is anyway? I, I like this. I'm glad it worked out this way. His brothers did finally come to believe. They did. Thankfully, 
Maybe for those three years, they didn't support him. They were embarrassed by him. They mocked him. They told him to go do miracles and go drum up a big following, humiliating him. But one day, it happened. They were in the upper room. And they were praying. See, they still believed in God the Father. In Acts chapter 1, these all with one mind were continuing, continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. With his brothers. They were there. They were there. You know, it took the resurrection of Christ to convince them that he really was who he said he was. Well, anyway, that's, that's what makes our faith real, isn't it? Even Paul said, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. So, okay, we're not going to fault them. But if you, if you doubt Christ after the resurrection, now you're in deep trouble. There's no excuse. There's none. It's the resurrection that's the basis of our faith. So if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, you're in a good place. But I'll tell you what, if you reject it, like the Hollywood comedians do, big trouble. Oh, big trouble. Big, big trouble. So, Jesus faced many obstacles. The religious crowd, right? They wanted to kill him. Imagine going to church and your pastor wants to kill you. <laughs> now, there are people that go to church and they want to kill the pastor. But these Pharisees, I mean, their job was to teach the people about the coming Messiah. And when the Messiah came, they wanted to kill him. That was one obstacle. Then we had disciples that weren't too consistent. Jesus' hand-picked team, they were kind of... They were a work in progress, I guess you would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, they were a work in progress. Then you get his own family. His own family. You know, there's a scripture, I can't think of it offhand, but it says that his family thought Jesus and the King James, it says he was beside himself. What does that mean? He's crazy. He's a little out of his mind. His family thought that. They thought he was out of his mind. Parading himself around, preaching, doing miracles, trying to get people to follow him as if he's the Messiah. <laughs> he was the Messiah. But with all of these obstacles, the religious system, his disciples at times got in the way, stumbled, his own family, he stayed the course. Here's what we're going to learn from Jesus he stayed the course. And you know what? For this, we are thankful. We are thankful that he didn't give up. And he didn't quit. Jesus knows what it is to hurt. Just like you do. You know what it is to hurt. You know what it is to be mocked and ridiculed and laughed at. Maybe when you were young. Maybe lately. I don't know. But most of us have been there at one time or another. So we have a lot in common with the humanity of Jesus. 
That's why the Bible says, as a high priest, he's been tempted just like we are, but his, he, without sin, he knows what it is to be you. And he knows what it is to be me. So we can identify with him. And he can identify with us. So we have a lot in common with his humanity. Now, because of that, we can draw close to him in our own time of need. We can do that. We can draw close to someone that understands what it is to be us. You know, that should be comforting. There's one thing we don't like to do. We don't like to hurt. But when we hurt, we don't like to hurt alone. That seems to compound the hurt, doesn't it? When you go through it alone. It's nice to have someone come alongside and be that comfort. Well, now we know that Jesus is that comfort. He knows how to come alongside. And we need to go to him. Go to him. Don't put him off. Go to him. It's amazing how we can just calm your spirit. You say, somebody says, how do I go to him? Well, I think it's always important to go to him in his word. You pick up the word of God. And you let him speak to you through his word. Let him comfort you. I love to read the Gospels. Let's read the life of Jesus. And I love to read the things that he says. And the things that he says are comforting. They're encouraging. They give hope. They do. So go to him. That time of hurt. That time of need. He's there. He stands at the door and knocks, right? And if we open up to him, he will come in and he will fellowship with us. And when that happens, things begin to change for the better. Want things to change for the better? Want to be on top of the world and not under it? Yes, you're going to hurt. We're all going to hurt. But now you know where to go. You go to the one that's been hurt too. And he's an overcomer. He'll help you to overcome. You can do it. Thanks for coming along today, New Hope Radio. Join the Hope Club. Go to our website and figure out how to do it. It's over there somewhere. And uh, don't forget about the Hope Club podcast. All right, I'll see you tomorrow next for more.